This morning, as you can see behind me, we're, we're starting a new series, and uh, what we've been doing, you've probably noticed over the past group of months, we've been working our way through some of Paul's prison epistles. We uh, did a lengthy study in the book of Ephesians, and we just a, f- a couple weeks ago finished up our study of the book of Colossians, and today we're going to be looking at Philemon. And it's interesting, you know, when I, whenever I tell people, yeah, I'm about to do a series in, in a book like Philemon, they oftentimes will look at it and be like, isn't that like one page? Isn't that one page? There's like a page to that. How are you going to do a series through a page? Well, I didn't say it's going to be a long series, but it's going to be a series, although um, sometimes I've been known to, to take my time, you know, going through things, so that's fine. But today we're going to, going to be looking at the first seven verses of the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And we're going to be asking this particular question, and I want this to be kind of ringing through our minds as we, as we open this up today. How deep is your love for the church? Just think about that for a se- uh, just for a second. How deep is your love for the church? I think we're going to see um, some useful things for us to ponder as we look at the, the opening verses of the letter to Philemon. So turn with me, if you would, to verse 1 of Philemon. It's just one chapter, so we just have the verses up there, Philemon Uh, verse 1 through verse 7, but this is what it says in this portion of Scripture. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity today to begin our study of this letter to Philemon. And we pray, Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, that you'd help us to understand more about the, just the, the powerful ways that you accomplish your work in the lives of those who submit their lives over to you, Lord. You've, you've taken us from death to life, and you've taken us from slavery to freedom. And Lord, we see these concepts illustrated in this book. We also see your deep love for the church illustrated here, and you inspire us to to love your church as well. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture together today, that these would be things that you would foster in our hearts, and that we would just joyfully uh, just express our appreciation to you for the great work that you've been doing within us. We commit this time to you now, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So a tiny bit of background on this letter to Philemon. Paul's letter to Philemon was, was written right around the year 62 AD, while Paul remained under house arrest in Rome. So it was obviously a, a productive time for him, just the same as uh, several letters were written during that particular time. This letter was written at the same time, roughly, as uh, Philippians, as Ephesians, as Colossians, and then obviously this letter as well. So these four letters written right around that same time there, during that, uh, it's believed, during that, that home confinement, that home imprisonment. But here you have Paul writing this letter to Philemon. So it's written directly to an individual. And Philemon was a man of great influence in the church at Colossae. He had come to know Christ, 
It's believed he had come to know Christ possibly through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which had happened about a decade earlier, or it's also possible that he came to know Christ through some other face-to-face interaction with the Apostle Paul. So people debate that a little bit. But either way, Paul was the one that shared the message of the gospel with Philemon, possibly about a decade earlier, and Philemon came to faith in Christ. But there's a glaring issue that I think a lot of us would take with Philemon's life. Uh, Philemon, in the culture, it may not have, been, may not have seemed like a, a, a huge deal to some people, but I think we would look back and say, no, it's kind of a big deal. Philemon, in, in the midst of his wealthy state, continued to own slaves. And that was a very common practice in Rome. And a very large portion of people living under Roman rule at the time were in some form of slavery. It's kind of actually, it's, it's interesting to look back and to see just how many people living in the Roman Empire were under some form of slavery. Some were slaves in the sense that they owed debts and they had a like a designation as being a slave, at least for a temporary period of time while they were attempting to repay those debts. Others were in essentially a permanent state of, uh, of slavery because they had been taken captive through conquest. And so there are different designations for slaves in that context, but many, many people in the Roman Empire had the designation of, of being a slave. And one of Philemon's slaves, a man named Onesimus, apparently he got sick of it and he escaped. He's like, you know what? I think I'm out of here. Now, knowing what you know of your own personality, uh, do you think you would have taken the route that Onesimus took? Do you think he'd be like, you know what? I, I think I'm out of here. <laughs> I think I'm out of here. And he actually, and by the way, he, he is, when he escaped, um, that was a capital offense. Like if you got caught, if you were a slave and you escaped, and that, like you could be put to death for these sorts of things. And it's also possible that when he escaped from, from you know, slavery, that he may have also stolen some money from Philemon in the process. Slightly awkward, right? And, uh, but he fled. Uh, he fled the city of Colossae. He went to the city of Rome. And uh, while Onesimus was in the city of Rome, uh, he was attempting to hide, I think. I think he was probably also attempting to start a new life. But in the process, he met Paul, and he came to faith in Christ. And he also began actively assisting Paul in his ministry. And in time, it, it becomes, I think, kind of clear when you look at this, that Onesimus started to feel convicted about all of this and felt that maybe he kind of needed to return back to Colossae and own up to what he had done. And you have the Apostle Paul sending this letter with Onesimus to Philemon, whom Paul also knows and led to faith in Christ, and he sends this letter to Philemon with Onesimus as Onesimus leaves Rome to go back to Colossae, And basically, Paul, in this letter, we're looking at the introductory things. We'll look at some of these other challenges that that Paul um, shares later in this letter in in future weeks. But he encourages Philemon, basically, to think very carefully about how he chooses to respond to Onesimus when Onesimus returns. When Onesimus ran away, you could say he was a slave and he was a thief. But Paul is about to remind him, when he returns to you, he's not returning as a slave. He's not returning as a thief. He's returning to you as a brother. He is your brother in Christ. 
And Paul strongly encouraged Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother from that point on, reminding him that he too had been a recipient of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and and really needed to give thought to these things. And I love this brief letter. It's very brief, but it's interesting because it actually serves as a very strong example of Christ's power to change lives. And you see the gospel illustrated in a very powerful way. We will see that demonstrated clearly as we work our way through this short book. And in the verses that we're looking at right now, as Paul is setting this all up, as he's introducing these things, as he's about to address these things to Philemon, what he does is he starts reminding us of Christ's love for us. He starts reminding us of of our love for Christ and how that translates into genuine love for the church as well. And as we think about you know, the, the question that we're asking today, how deep is your love for the church? So, I mean, just answer that in your own mind for a quick second. How deep personally to you, how deep is your love for the church of Jesus Christ? How deep is your love for the church? There's a few things that I think are mentioned here in these first seven verses that can test that and can actually maybe illustrate to you, you know, if you want to put it on a scale somewhere, if you want to in, invent a scale in your mind, how deep is my personal love for the church? Well, there's some things here I think are useful to ask if we try and measure that. First one is this. Would you risk your personal safety for the church? Would you risk your personal safety for the church? Look at the first part of verse 1. Let me reread it. Paul says it this way. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So very brief statement here. Just the first part of the first verse. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. The other day I was raking my front lawn. Someone asked me uh, just before church started, it's like, hey, how many mows did you get in so far this season knowing about my deep intrinsic passion for, for lawn care, right? So the answer to that is two mows, but each time I mowed, I mowed twice because I had to do a lot of mulching. So four mows in two days, you know? But anyway, um, I was out mowing the lawn. And, uh, and then, actually, I was raking at this particular point, and my neighbor was mowing his lawn, and we saw each other because our, our lawns connect, and so we decided to talk and solve all the world's problems before we returned back to our labors. Do you, ever, do you have any neighbors that you do that with? I, we solved a lot. It was very interesting. But one of the things that we agreed about, and uh, I, this would be such an interesting discussion at some point, Uh, But one of the things that we agreed on is the fact that a large percentage of humanity seems to prioritize their safety and their comfort over their convictions. And the two of us felt like, you know, it's actually rare to find someone who lives out their convictions when it stops being safe to do so. That's kind of rare. In the history of humanity, that is rare. Paul was the kind of person who prioritized his convictions over his safety and his comfort. And you see that throughout his ministry. I think it's fascinating. He had a conviction that this world needed to hear the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he went where the Holy Spirit led him to go in order to make that message known. And as he did so, what he would do is he would plant churches, and then he would train leaders, and then he would disciple believers, and then teach those leaders how to disciple believers so that the work would continue after his stay in particular cities was completed. But Paul's convictions and the actions that he was taking based on those convictions, it obviously didn't sit well with everybody in that era. And you could look throughout the book of Acts, you could, you could see some of the things he references in his letters as well. People actively tried to prevent him from telling more people about Christ. 
People went out of their way to stop him from speaking about Jesus. They actively sought to take his life before he could train more leaders or disciple more believers or plant more churches. And as this letter was being written, keep in mind the location where Paul happened to be at that moment. Paul remained in prison under house arrest in Rome because of his proclamation of the gospel. And it's interesting to note how he starts this letter off. And that's why I wanted to point this out. There's only one of Paul's letters that begins with him describing himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, he does describe himself that way in other letters, but there's only one of his letters where it starts off, right off the bat, where he calls himself a prisoner, and this is it. His letter to Philemon. He refers to himself, he says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And when I read those words here at the start of this passage, And I think about the example that he set, I can't help but ask myself, would I personally be willing to allow my illusion of safety and comfort to be interrupted for the sake of the church? Meaning, would I be willing to preach the gospel? Would I be willing to train leaders? Would I be willing to disciple believers, even if my well-being was being threatened for doing so? And I'll tell you what, if my answer to that question ever stops being yes, Please remove me from church leadership in that instant. Because when you look at the example that the Apostle Paul set, it wasn't an example for people to just come along and try and like suck up the goodies from being involved in church life. It was the idea that you sacrifice things for the glory of Christ and for the benefit of other people. And I look at the Apostle Paul as a powerful example of what it actually looks like to risk your personal safety for the church. He was willing to do so. And so he, asked, he starts off this letter telling the truth. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And the whole reason he was a prisoner wasn't because he'd actually committed a crime. It was because he wouldn't stop proclaiming the message of the gospel. But here's another question for us to wrestle with when we talk about how deeply do you love the church? Would you open up your home to the church? Would you open up your home to it? Look at what he says in the second part of verse 1 and then verse 2. He says, to Philemon, so he's addressing this again, to Philemon. He says, to Philemon, our beloved brother, and then he lists a couple other names. He says, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So Paul here, as he's opening this up, he addresses three people who were actively involved in the church at Colossae, and he addresses them all in this greeting. And it very well may be, and I don't know this for sure, but it very well may be that Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus were family. That certainly seems to to be a natural way to read this introduction, especially because Paul references the fact here that the Colossian church would often meet in their homes. So when I read that, it makes me wonder, it sort of seems like they, they may have been family. And it also appears that multiple people in the Colossian church opened up their homes to the church so that the church could meet in their homes as as meeting places. If you remember, when we were in the last chapter of the book of Colossians, uh, Paul also mentioned Nympha and the fact that the church met in her home. And so you have Philemon, you have uh, Aphia, you have Archippus. They were apparently generous in that way as well. And, And this home was opened up to the church so that the church could meet. And when I read about what life was like during the era of the early church, I'm often just inspired by the example of many of the people that are listed in Scripture and some of the things that are discussed there, because they were were persecuted in that culture. This wasn't easy for them to go about with the name Christian. You know, in many respects, in our culture, if you call yourself a Christian, obviously there's some people that will take issue with that, but most won't. It's not going to shock people 
if you tell somebody that you believe in Jesus. I doubt that they'd be like, I have never heard of such a thing. And in the culture at the time, you, you, look, at, you look at the ways in which early believers were treated in their culture, they were persecuted. They were actively persecuted by this culture, and yet their faith remained strong. And in that time, they didn't have church buildings, they didn't have cathedrals, they didn't have conference centers, but what they did have, they were willing to share generously. One of the most inspiring verses in all of Scripture related to the, just the generous spirit that existed among the early church, you actually find it in Acts chapter 4, 32. And when you look at that verse, it kind of reminds us of something that I, I hope that we hold on to, even though we live a couple thousand years removed from this. But it says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in, in common. It was just, a, 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 you know, if your brother or sister in Christ needed something and you had the opportunity to help meet that need, you met the need. So I, I look at it this way, and I, I look at, you know, what we see Philemon and others doing, and it makes me ask, all right, would you open up your home to the church? Would you open up your home to the church? You realize that in this culture that if, uh, you know, let's say 20 years from now, let's say culture, if culture keeps going in the direction it's presently going, do you think that a day will come where it will not be likely that believers will be gathering like we're gathering right now? What happens when the church goes through seasons of persecution? It sort of goes underground a little bit. And you know where it typically meets? Well, so, it meets anywhere it can sometimes, but a lot of times it'll meet in homes. So, I mean, this is a luxury compared to where believers have been able to meet throughout history that you and I get to do this right now. It's entirely possible, and I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but I do have this in the back of my mind. It is entirely possible that at some point during your life, this will be something you remember doing, but not something that will be the common way that believers meet. And in fact, there are lots of house churches starting up, even across our country right now, in anticipation of that. So I kind of think about this. It's not like I want that to have to be the case, but you know what else I, I love when you look historically, I love looking through history. You know when the church grows numerically and strong? It typically grows when it's persecuted, not when everything's easy. So if that's something that you and I experience at some point in our life, there's examples of what it looks like for, for people to, to really step up and be those people. And it's like, would you, let, would you open up your home for the church? Usually what we think, you know, would I open up my home to the church? It's like, well, I'll probably have to vacuum after everybody leaves. I hope they don't get a whole bunch of crumbs around the living room, you know. I, you know, I, I hope nobody comes and has a cold. You know, we think about stuff like that, right? It's, it's not like, oh, I hope soldiers don't show up and execute me because I opened up my home for the church, right? And, uh, it, you know, when you look at early believers, it, they weren't worried about crumbs, you know, they weren't worried about sneezes. They had much deeper concerns when they would open up their home as a meeting place for the church. But how about this? Let's just, let's, let's take it away from like paranoia moments right now, okay? And just bring it back to right now, this present day. Would we open up our home to the church in this present day context? Or how about this? Sometimes it's not even just opening up your home to the church. Would you give someone in the church a ride in your car if they needed a ride somewhere, you know, for groceries or an appointment or something like that. Or if, if another believer asked you to borrow your tools, would you lend it to them? How about this? Would you give your, your time to another Christian if they just asked you to sit with them during a doctor's appointment that they were nervous about? Would you share that kind of moment with them? 
Or would you offer, this is something I think is pretty relevant for a lot of families here in the church, would you offer to babysit the children of a young couple so that they could go out to eat for two to three hours so that they didn't have to pay for a babysitter? And I look at Philemon and I think, all right, Philemon's family was very likely well off. They're very likely a wealthy family. But what I see is their generosity demonstrated that they did not hold on to the blessings that the Lord had entrusted to them in a selfish way. They weren't selfish about these things. They shared what was theirs, and they shared these things with their brothers and sisters in Christ as the Lord directed their hearts to do so. I think there's a good example in that for us. But how about this? Sometimes it's not just sharing about the things that you have or the possessions you have. I think often in our our desire to share with one another, I think one of the most powerful things that you and I can do is start sharing openly what Jesus is actually doing in your life. And so that's the third question I'll just throw out there for us today. Would you share what Jesus is doing in your life with the church? Look at verse 3 down to verse 6. Paul says it this way. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at, look at some of the specific things he says related to Philemon and what Philemon was doing. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Keep in mind, this is a letter being written to an individual. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, I have to tell you, over the course of my life, I have been looking for people who serve as good examples that can either teach me something or can model something for me that I feel like I need to better understand. So when I look out over the course of my life, there are people in my life that I consider excellent examples of what it means to be a man, excellent examples of what it means to be a husband or a pastor or an entrepreneur or a writer or a speaker or more. In fact, you know, when you, when you think about growing up and you think back to what your bedroom looked like when you were a child, anyone hang posters all over their bedroom when you were growing up? Were they posters of landmarks? Were they posters of interesting geological formations? Were they posters of, I don't know, your, your favorite sneaker brands? Most likely, most of the things that you've hung up on your wall were other people, weren't they? It was probably the musicians you listened to. It was probably the, the you know, people that were good at sports or had some sort of talent or something like that. You probably, if you hung up, I remember, by the way, I, I really wish pictures existed of this, but I made it a point at one point when I was growing up I, I didn't want there to be one speck of paint that was visible on my bedroom wall when I was a teenager. I was like, not a speck of paint. Every single area of paint, you could see my ceiling, but then after a while I started hanging posters on my ceiling. And I think back to the people that were examples in my life at that point. I didn't always pick real good ones at that point. Guys like Vince Neal, guys like uh, Axl Rose, guys like Ric Flair. Some of you are laughing, some of you are like, who are these people? <laughs> Certainly not people your pastor should be emulating, right? And uh, like all over. And I remember sometimes my mom would open up the door to my bedroom and she'd look and she'd just be like, where does this all come from? Like, where does this come, where do you even get this stuff? I would go and I would buy magazines that had mostly posters in them and then I would take the magazine surgically apart and then I would 
paper my room. And I was like, these are my hero, heroes, Mom. This is like the wall of fame of all the people I'm trying to be like. She's like, I hope it works out better for you than this. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you think, really, like, I mean, I may not still do this, but I know in my heart, like, I'm always looking for examples. When I'm reading a book, I'm trying to learn something from an author who's done something I haven't done. Or when I meet somebody that's older, I'm trying to learn something because I'm like, all right, they have a generation more experience than me, so I'm going to ask some questions that maybe will help me to skip ahead a little bit, and I won't have to learn some of this stuff the hard way. And so I'm always, I'm always grateful for people that can just serve as excellent examples that I feel inspired to, to copy. And I have to tell you, there are people in my life that I've often looked to as examples of what it means to be a strong believer in Jesus Christ. They are the people that I look at and I say, all right, that's what it means to be a strong believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, even before I ever read the Bible for myself, I was reading the lives of other Christians. And their example showed me what being a follower of Jesus looked like. And by the way, if, if you don't realize it, somebody's copying you. They may not tell you that they're copying you, and, but whether you realize it or not, there are people making decisions with eternal ramifications based on what they are personally observing in your life. So don't minimize the, the power to be an example to somebody else that the Lord's blessed you with. And when you look at Philemon, and when you look at the things that the Apostle Paul was saying to him, Philemon certainly had a lot of things to work on, and we'll get to that in a second, but he was an example uh, to many people. And he was certainly a man of influence in the city of Colossae. He was known for being generous. He was known as a man who loved Jesus. He was known as a man who had great trust in Christ. Philemon was also known as someone who just loved the church. And because he loved the church, he would also share what he was learning with the church. He, you know, so he wasn't just hosting the church in his home, but he was also telling the believers what the Lord was doing in his life. And so Paul addresses this here. You know, he says that, that basically that he hopes this rubs off on other people, that they grow as you're growing. You know, that the things that you're sharing with them, that they also learn from. So I get, the, I get the impression as I look at this that he was very active in doing that with the goal that others would develop a full understanding of, of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. But again, as this letter will demonstrate, Philemon was very much a work in progress. There were many things he was getting right, but there were also a whole bunch of areas that he really needed to grow and, and he needed to develop. And I think, I think that that's a, a, a very good thing for us to remember if we're ever tempted to think that we have arrived. You may have experienced a lot of growth in recent years. But none of us has come to a spot where we don't need to continue to grow spiritually. I think there are a lot of things when you look at Philemon's life, you could say, yeah, he was an example, but there's also things Paul's about to challenge him about when he gets into the crux of this letter, and we're going to see that. But in regard to our own lives, we get what? What do we get? We get usually 10 or less brief decades on this planet and that is not enough time for us to fully understand the height and the depth and the width of the love of God that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. We will spend eternity contemplating that truth. But even though there's still much for us to learn and much for us to grow in, one of the things that I take from what Paul says here is that we have the opportunity to be active in sharing what we've already come to know. 
So I think we have a humility, or we, we should have a humility about it in the sense that we say, all right, I have a lot more I need to know, but we also should take the time to share what we've already come to know. You don't have to wait until you're the world's foremost expert on Christianity to share what the Spirit of God has made known in your life thus far. Philemon still needed to grow in a whole bunch of ways, but that did not stop him from generously sharing what he had already come to know. So you're at a spot right now, and 10 years from now, you're going to be even more mature in your faith in Christ. And 20 years from now, you're going to be even more mature than that. But you don't have to wait for two more decades or three more decades or five more decades to share what the Spirit of God is teaching you. Share now. Because people will also learn as they observe how much you've learned 10 years from now. They're like, remember 10 years, 10 years ago when that's where you were at? Well, look at where you've come. And I think Philemon gives us a good example of what that growth process looks like. But one other thing I just want to throw out here, as we think about loving the church and what it means to be men and women who love the church, would you actively seek to refresh the church when it's weary? Paul says this in verse 7, he says, "'For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, I don't know what kind of tradition you've grown up in, but when Scripture here is talking about saints, it's not talking about some like group of super-Christians. That's just a general term for all believers that the New Testament uses. So believe it or not, children, look at your parents and say, according to the Bible, I'm a saint, right? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. So children, please look at your parents right now and say, biblically speaking, if they call you anything other than a saint, they are not theologically correct. Um, <laughs> We read it. It's there, right? And so you have, you have Paul saying, Philemon, thank you so much for the comfort and love you, you've shown to me, but I just love hearing the ways in which you comfort the believers. You refresh the believers. The saints at Colossae, they're refreshed through you. Paul did not plant this church at Colossae, but obviously, even though he was a distance away, he certainly cared for its well-being. And even though he couldn't be with them personally and physically, he was grateful for those who were active in serving the church, people like Philemon. And this is what Philemon had a reputation for doing. In fact, the knowledge of Philemon's service, you have Paul, he just stresses it here, it just brings him comfort and joy. And he was looking for that comfort. He was looking for that joy in the midst of his imprisonment. I think he was thinking a lot about the fact that, you know, what work did I have the opportunity to be involved in and what didn't I get the opportunity to do while I was out of, of a, an imprisoned state? And he was thinking about, will others continue this work? And when he heard about people like Philemon who were stepping up to the task, he rejoiced over it. And he describes, again, Philemon's work as refreshing. The believers in the church were refreshed through him. And this makes me wonder, and we'll just think about this as we finish up today, how can we as present-day believers refresh one another? How can we as present-day believers refresh one another? How can you and I refresh one another? I don't think there's a conclusive list of how that can be done. I think there's so many ways that you and I can do that. But I could tell you personally how other believers through the course of my life have genuinely refreshed me. There are people who regularly pray for me and they go out of their way to let me know that they're doing so. I find that refreshing. I could tell that the Spirit of God is working in my life, that He's answering other people's prayers on my behalf. And I'm genuinely encouraged when people go out of their way to let me know, hey, I've been praying for you. I need lots of prayer. <laughs> You've heard who my examples were, right? Like, it's a very shaky foundation for a season of my life. But in all seriousness, when people, when people 
remind me. It's like, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. That genuinely refreshes me. I love when I hear that, when I find out that that's something people have been doing. There are people that I can think of that have gone out of their way to minister to my wife and children. So when the Apostle Paul is looking at Philemon, he's saying, hey, I I wish I could be personally serving the church at Colossae, but Philemon, I'm so grateful that you're willing to serve the church at Colossae and that you're refreshing these people, and that makes me feel good. Well, I have to tell you, when people bless my wife and my children, you know how that makes me feel? Even better than than, than when they're nice to me. You know what I mean? You get to a point in life where you actually care about the well-being parents. You understand this, right? You look at what people are doing uh, for your children. Doesn't it make you happier than even what they do for you? And, uh, and when people do something for your spouse, doesn't it make you happier than what, they, you know, what they're even doing for you? Or, or even the reverse. It, you know, someone can criticize me, but if they ever criticize my wife, watch out. And I can tell you, it's even worse it's even worse if she finds out that you've said something bad about me. She will end you. <laughs> she will end you. That will be your final day. So be careful. But the point being, don't you... Don't you she, right now she's like, why are you saying these things? Because it's true. Um, but when people go out of their way to refresh you, doesn't that make a huge difference in your life? I'm also reminded of... of um, all the people, and I had a very visible reminder of this yesterday, and I was really happy to see this. Um, when people come alongside to serve together in ministry, isn't that something that you also rejoice over? That you look at and you're like, that's so refreshing. I could tell, I, hope, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, our building director, Rich Smith, yesterday, all day. So he put together the work list for our work day yesterday, and he was sending me info for the announcements and stuff that I could put out to the church email. And then all day long, he was like a proud papa watching people show up to the church and borrow tools from his van. And he's like, hey, we've got this many here. Hey, we've got this many here. And then even when it was all done and I was trying to fall asleep in my chair, you know what he was doing? Texting me about the workday. I'm like, Rich, it's old news at this point. It already happened. It's done. Let me recuperate. I'm tired. But you know what he was doing? He was like, Every, he's like, everything got done on the list. I was like, I know. And he, and he was still happy about it hours afterward. And, but I was thinking about that. Like, all kidding aside, I was thinking about, doesn't that just make you feel when people partner together to do ministry? I was even thinking about it yesterday when some of us were out front working on the trees and raking stuff up. I thought, I rake plenty. I was raking earlier in my week. But when I was raking earlier in the week, I was doing that alone. And the task feels different when you're doing it alone. But when you're doing that partnered together with other people, you lose track of time because you're having conversation and you're just enjoying the company of other people. And so it's a very different feel. And so I look at this, and as Paul's saying, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. There is this, it's almost like this unlimited list of ways that you and I can actively refresh one another in Christ. It's just a matter of saying, all right, for Christ's glory and for my brother or sister's benefit, what could I do that would be beneficial to them? How could I be the hands and feet of Christ to this brother or sister today? And and I believe God intentionally sends people into our lives to refresh us when we need it most. That is my experience with the Lord over the course of my life. When I have needed that, the Lord always sends someone. And Philemon was a refreshing person in the church at Colossae, and we have just the privilege to be refreshing to the church in our day. So let me say this. Christ loves the church. Now, I know that you could look at at the church in the, the big sense, historically and in our present day. 
you can find a lot of fault with the church if you want to, because it's made up of people, right? And we've all got our issues. You could find fault, you know, wherever you look, if you want. And there was a time that I felt a little bit more comfortable being critical of the church in general than I do now. And a big reason why I don't feel is at, at liberty to just kind of go through life as a critic of the church is because I start thinking about the fact that Scripture refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And again, getting back to you know, some of my humor, I don't think I would find it very funny at all if somebody was needling and picking on my wife. That would bug me. And so I think about this from the sense of that's how deeply Christ loves the church, that he refers to the church as his bride. And so I, I think about this, you know, Christ loves the church. And that was demonstrated during the course of his earthly ministry, and his love continues to be demonstrated to this very day. And so as part of the church, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, I just want to throw it out there for us to really wrestle with, do you love his church as well, like he does? And maybe a final question I'll just throw out there and I'll end on this. How are you making the most of the opportunities that he grants us to demonstrate that love? How are you making the most of the opportunities that he grants us to demonstrate that love? Let's pray. Lord, thank, thank you so much for the love that you show to your church. And thank you, Lord, for an example like this that we could see in this brief letter to Philemon that the Apostle Paul, as he certainly was seeking to tell others the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, as he was seeking to make that known, as he was seeking to disciple believers and lead leaders and plant churches and do all of that, he was so grateful to see what you were doing in and through the lives of so many other people. And Lord, it was obvious that out of his love for you that the Apostle Paul loved your bride. And so, Lord, we pray that as members of your church, that we would look around and, and see our brothers and sisters who are in the same boat that we're in, and that as we have received your love in gracious and merciful ways, that we would demonstrate that love to one another, realizing that this is something that you have told us in your word that will demonstrate to this world a picture of your love that will be very compelling. When the world sees the church acting in love toward each member, each person, each believer, each saint, it's a very powerful testimony to this world of what it looks like to be rescued and redeemed through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that that would be reflected in our households. We pray that that would be reflected in our church family, we pray that that would be reflected in our attitude toward the church in general, realizing that when we speak of the church, we speak of the bride of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you for these reminders, and we thank you for the ways in which, even just looking at a few sentences that were spoken or written down generations ago, your Spirit inspired these things to be written. These are, these are things that can very easily, if we give them a little extra thought, these are things that can really fire us up in a good way. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be the type of thing 
that we would take from a passage like this, but ultimately, Lord, we know that as we work our way through the book of Philemon, that we're reading something here that gives us a really powerful example of what it looks like to be completely transformed through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Our old self is dead, and we've been made a new creation in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look through this, as we contemplate these words, as we seek to grow in our walk with you, as we meditate on the truth of your word, that you'd help us to live these things out. And we thank you, Lord, so much for all of your blessings and for the fact that we get to start off our week together as brothers and sisters in Christ, just looking around and just saying, I'm so grateful to be united together with such a wonderful group of people, united as family in your Son. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.